Hey, good morning, and um, so good to worship with you, and I want to thank uh, Christine for um, the encouragement. Man, I was encouraged to go, but I'm not invited, but uh, man, it was so good. I was like, oh, wow, and our worship team always leading us, and I don't know if you even heard, Chris had a little subtle rebuke, right? Oh, the kids sang so well um, at the retreat. It was a little bit of a rebuke, right? Like, sing better, grown up, so... Um, uh, I got it. Maybe you didn't, but he did it in such a friendly way. Uh, but we're so happy to worship together and, um, you know, just some of the things that are happening. Today, right after service, we're going to have our members meeting here um, and uh, just kind of looking forward to what is to come and also looking back on God's faithfulness and goodness to us. If you have children in Crosswalk, they will have something going on during the members meeting. So they could, you could just leave them there, just FYI. Like, don't leave them there and then go to Target, okay? Like, you know, you got to be in the members meeting, all right? Um, and uh, so uh, uh, we're looking forward to just, I, I'm looking forward to sharing with you some of the things of uh, the, the highlights of church and all the wonderful things that have been going on. I have kind of a fun question for us, and I believe, and I, we, I mentioned this at our teacher service, and it confirmed it. I believe all of us, um, have gone to the same school of how to eat at a buffet, right? And it sounds like, where did that come from? And so I want you to think about this, and we're going to confirm this here. When you go to a buffet, all right, think about this. What is the must you have to get or you have to eat when you're planning? If you're like me, you're already planning when I get there, this might be my first plate, this will be my second plate, and whatever. And what you have to eat, and the second part is, what you avoid at a buffet. Like, you do not eat these things, and somehow mom and dad taught you these things, and they all somehow learned from the same buffet master somewhere, and I believe we've all been on the same page. So, think about what you must have, what you must not get when you go to a buffet, and uh, to someone next to you, we're just going to share those one thing each, just something fun, all right? I'm going to give you a moment. Must have, must not eat when you go to a buffet, Let's just share for 30 seconds each, all right? Turn to someone next to you. All right, all right, all right. some of you are getting real complex about it. Just we want simple answers, right? Simple must-haves, must-not-haves, right? Uh, um, I'll ask Pastor John, what's a, what is a must-have when you go to, uh, go to a buffet? All right, who said crab legs? Anyone say crab legs? Yeah, a lot of us, right? And there was a second plate. Anything else you want to? Prime rib, right? Yeah, oh, went to the same school, all right? What's the thing, uh, who's back there, is that, uh, who is that, uh, I'll ask, that Bobby, what's the thing you cannot eat, you must avoid? Rice, Rice right? So, some of you agree, right? A lot of us agree. Um, somehow, maybe it's, it's your parents that, when they tick you, and as a young child, you say, I want to just get some fried rice, you sh- better not, right? <laughs> you better not. You have to eat crab legs. I'm allergic. You have to eat it. I don't care. This was 1999. You better eat it. And then prime rib. I, I'm vegan. No, you got to eat it, right? Um, 
And we're like that. And, uh, you know, I'm the same. And you say, you have to eat this. And now you're brainwashed and you go thinking, I have to get this because it's all about the economics, right? I have to eat this to get my money's worth, not what I want to eat. And I might want a slice of pizza, right? Or I might want some pasta, but I said, no, it doesn't add up, then I'm going to lose the money. This restaurant must lose money. That's how I am thinking oftentimes. And uh, we eat the crab legs oftentimes till our thumbs are sore, and the next day you could still smell it on your hands and whatnot. And I share this kind of funny uh, 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 illustration here because Life, oftentimes, we want to live like we are in a buffet of pleasure and material goods. Like, if I could just have everything I want and all I could have, isn't that all it's about? And we treat the things that we treat things like they matter the most, not because we like it, but because someone else values it. And we say, well, they like it, so I should like this. Oh, they said that this is stylish, so I should wear this. They said this is valuable, so I should buy this. And we care now more about what people think than what we want. I remember when I was a youth pastor, we had a new pastor that had joined our church. He had come from the Midwest, and we took him to a buffet, uh, Todai. Do you remember that? Some of you remember? And it was a big deal back then, and we took him there as a welcome, and this guy... Uh, walked over and he had a plate and he walked over and it was a mountain of fried rice and I just judged them right there I'm like oh man I and so I said uh, is something something wrong you know and we were like joking he said no I just love fried rice I said oh oh they don't have crab legs or they don't have shrimp in the Midwest oh you should try it and we were and from that moment I thought in my head I'm never gonna go out to eat with this guy right I I I'm never but. And we often think like that. But really, hey, if I want this, I should go and go after that. If I think it's good, that's all that matters. But oftentimes, we are so concerned about what people say and what society says. And if someone says, boy, that's a value or that is good, we go, oh, yeah, I guess it is. And someone says, you have to go and do these things or buy these things. And we just say, oh, I got to go and get these things so I could show you and impress you. And they could say, wow. Good. Crab legs. Good job. Right? Um, and we get caught up like that. And we get into this section in uh, Ecclesiastes that talks about a life. And it starts by saying just that a life that we go after, even if it is a buffet of all the pleasures and all the successes that the world thinks about, is an utter failure. Now, I'm like, now, if you're like me now, I, I hate going to buffets. Right? It's just, uh, after it all, none of it tastes good. And after a while, it, it's overpriced. And as I, I, you know, try to eat too much of it, and it's no good, and I avoid it now. But yet, uh, oftentimes, we treat life in this way. A life that is lived, um, even though we work hard at it, if it's for the wrong things, it is a waste. Even if we are surrounded by a lot of things, it's a waste. And that's what the writer of Ecclesiastes is telling us. In the next several weeks, we're going to be giving these messages through Ecclesiastes to kind of keep us on track um, as we are doing our devotions before we go back to 1 Corinthians. Uh, Dr. Miroslav Volf uh, teaches a class at Yale 
um, on, he's a theologian, he teaches a class about the meaningful life. And uh, he has, from the class, he had written a book on it, and uh, this is what he says. Many spend their entire lives climbing a ladder only to realize that the ladder has been leaning against the wrong wall. And in his book, right, Life Worth Living, uh, Dr. Wolf talks about that, and he talks about how we have to sit and pause and think for a moment, is this worth it? Why am I doing these things? Why am I working so hard? Uh, it is Socrates who had said that the unexamined life is not worth living. And so we need to, maybe beginning of the year, we need to take an inventory. Why am I doing these things? Why do I get so stressed over my work? Why am I staying up all night because of what someone thinks about me or does not think about me? What is my life really about? Why am I wasting so much time on these things? How much money did I spend on those things? And we have to now think and examine our lives and think. Many here, uh, many of us work, raising little children or whatever it is, or careers has kept us so busy that we haven't had a time to just uh, ponder and examine our own lives. And today I want to uh, us to do that. I want us to think about this. You know, the writer of Ecclesiastes, uh, we see it says in verse 1, the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Describes himself in this way. The book doesn't say it's Solomon. Many scholars think it's Solomon. Some thinks it was written after Solomon. Um, the descriptions look like Solomon because he was rich and he had wisdom. Um, he was the son of David, literally. Uh, but uh, anyways, it is written, and he titles himself, right, uh, the preacher. Some translations call it the teacher. And he says, this is a message I have to share to you. This is the really the 101 of life. And he sits down. The preacher is a person that would gather people and tell them what's important. And so this is what is being done here in this text. And the first things that he talks about is a life about our lives, all the things we think are important, and he puts it in perspective in this way. Um, today, this morning, we're going to look at these three big descriptions that are used, right? Vanity of vanities. Second is all is vanity. Third is a life under the sun. What does he mean by that? Why does he use those words? Um, and we will take a look at that together. The first phrase we see in verse 2, vanity of vanities. It is so significant, he says it twice in one verse. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. The word vanity here, hebel in the Hebrew. A vivid uh, word. It's a, a metaphor that's used 33 times in the book. It literally means a breath or a vapor or a cloud. It's something that looks like it's there in form, but when you go to grasp it, you cannot hold it. When you go to touch it, you cannot keep it. It's there. Um, and he says, this is what life is like. Uh, Hebel is the thought of something that is insignificant, temporal. Um, it has no substance. And he uses this very strong metaphor to describe life without God. Um, also, we see here, some of you have already noticed, it's used in the superlative form. In the Hebrew, it's vanity of vanities, and it's re repeated twice. Um, 
when that form is used, it is to now say it is the best of, the greatest of. So when Jesus is called the King of kings and the Lord of lords, it's saying he is the most excellent. He is the most excellent Lord. When uh, the book Song of Songs is mentioned, it said this is the most excellent, the most worthy of all the songs. And here he describes it, he describes life without God as vanity of vanities. The message uh, translation says smoke, nothing but smoke. There is nothing else. It's all smoke, as Eugene Peterson loosely translates for us. When I was a little child, um, maybe age four or five, and I have this memory of uh, going up into the mountains. And I don't remember where. I was in, in Korea, and we were going up to a mountain, and um, I was really excited. And I think, I vaguely remember, I had an uncle who had told me, boy, you can go, let's go up and catch some clouds. And I thought clouds were like, um, like cotton balls, and so you could just grab it. You know, cotton candy, right? And I was like so excited and as we were going. And in hindsight, you know, he was just saying that to keep me from bugging him probably. I was probably bugging him and, you know, asking him under. So we're, and as we're ascending this hill and it was cloudy and I was so excited. Windows down. I mean, I'm, you know, halfway out the window trying to catch the cloud. Uh, no car seats back then, right? In the 70s, there were no car seats, right? Um, there were no seatbelt laws, um, and I was sticking my body out like a dog, and I was trying to catch it. And I was using, I still remember trying to use different techniques, the one-handed technique, and I couldn't catch the cloud, and he, he's like, try two hands. And I remember trying two hands, couldn't catch a cloud. I tried even using my mouth. I tried everything to catch a cloud. I would just grab it and pull it and grab it and pull it in, and I had nothing. Nothing. It looked so big and grand, and I thought I could grab something, but there was nothing. And that's the word that is used to describe all the successes, all the greatest accolades without God. All the things that you stay up worrying about, that you work so hard for, vanity of vanities is a life without God. James 4, 14, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Insignificant, temporary. And this is the description of life. And you might read this and say, this is a downer. As we're starting the new year, shouldn't we talk about how significant life is? How I should go and go and get them and, and succeed and live in this way? Yes, you should. But a life without God is described this way. So you could have the whole world, you could have a buffet surrounding your life, and you don't have God. He says it's vanity of vanities. The preacher says this. The one who's had it all, owned it all, knew it all, at the end of it all says, it's smoke. The second phrase we see here, he says, in the, in the middle of that is all, or at the end of, end of that verse, all is vanity. So you look at verse 2 again. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And in case the listener wasn't sure, are you talking about just material things? You can't be talking about my education. You cannot be talking about my career. He goes, no, no, no. Uh, let's cover all the bases. All is vanity. Everything you do ultimately is 
is empty. Some of the categories that are mentioned here, he talks about uh, our hard work, the things that we go after. We work so hard, and some of you are, have earned degrees and licenses and all of this to get to where you're at, and you're, you're living out this significant role, and you think, boy, I have arrived. I am significant. But it tells us the world doesn't know. The earth doesn't sit there and realize. Go out to the ocean. The, the waves don't say, oh, let's pause for a second. So-and-so is here. He has a master's degree. Um, he has done this. He has earned this. We're not that significant. And it says here in verse chapter 1, verse 7, all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. Just going. You think you made a difference? No, the world just keeps going. You think you are significant? No, the world just keeps going. The, and the, the second thing we see here is uh, about acquiring wealth. We think how important it is that we acquire, uh, acquire wisdom, worldly wisdom. And this chapter talks about worldly wisdom and how boy, we want to go out and get this. And when you get all this wisdom, even that in itself is vanity. Chapter 113, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. All this, to go and get all this wisdom under heaven. It's an unhappy business. You know, when I was um, starting seminary school, this is kind of, there was no Google or anything like that. Um, but I remember one of the first books I got was called the Strong's Concordance, right? Okay, here's a little picture of one of the pages. Strong's Concordance was the thickest book I had, right? It was thick, it was big, and the font was like that, right? And the uh, Concordance, some of you know, it was, it has every significant word in the Bible, and it has a reference of when it was used. So you're saying, oh, where was that one phrase when God is described as a shepherd? You would look it up. Page 932. Oh, she shepherd, okay. And it has every time it was mentioned in the King James, where shepherd. Oh, okay, you know. Um, and, and, and we would do this work. Now, we used to carry this book around. Because I would prepare a message or a Bible study. Oh, where was that one verse that talks about the kingdom? And you look it up and you see every verse that had it mentioned. The person that wrote this name was James Strong. In the 1800s, it was published in 1890, he had spent 35 years, right? 35 years. Uh, you think about that. You become an adult, let's say, uh, let's just say 20, just to make it. So from 20 to 35, what is that? So it's 55, 20 to 55. It's a whole career. He spent his whole working career to dig through every verse and document this. And then it published 1890. And for many years, even till the uh, early 90s, seminary students carried it around. And then all of a sudden now, the internet is born, and then Google is born. And now, a five-year-old on their mom's smartphone could look up, ah, oh, Shepherd, oh, there it is, okay. And it's, they're done, right? He, it's obsolete. And so I still have my concordance because there is some sentimental value, and that's all it is. I never look it up. I never use it. I'll be honest with you. I use it to prop up my monitor on my computer. 
I've used it handily in COVID to prop up my laptop so uh, the angle of my face would look as good as it could look when I was on Zoom uh, with a lot of you. And you're propping, what's the biggest book? Oh, here it is, right? Um, I could use it probably as a pillow or if I needed to jack up my car, I could park it on top. I don't know what it is, but that's all it's used for. And this guy spent 35 years and I wonder what Mr. Strong is thinking in heaven. Oh my gosh, these kids are looking it up in five seconds on their smartphone. Why did I spend 35 years? Oh, vanity of vanity is the concordance that I have here. All is vanity. Acquiring wealth. It says here in Ecclesiastes 5.10, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Verse 11, When goods increase, they increase who eat them. And what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? So you make a lot of money, you have people under you, and all you see is all the money that's made, more and more people just consuming it. You're using it, you're paying it out. What good is that? What good is it to love something that will not satisfy you? And the one thing that is, is riches. No one has ever said, oh, that was plenty enough. Plenty enough. Uh, From now on, I will do everything for free because I have plenty enough. Who says I have, oh, I've made too much money? Who went to their boss lately and said, boss, can I talk to you? I know the economy is like this. Give me a pay decrease. This is plenty for me, right? 20%, 20%, just knock it down. Let's give it away. No. We go on strike, you know. Every industry is on strike. We're going to shut down the port. We're going to shut down the hospital, the schools. Give us a raise, and we want more, more, and more. And there will be more strikes, and there will be more people asking for more. Never will there be a person or a group of people having a strike. Pay decrease, pay decrease, right? We have enough, right? No one. Not in this world. This is now under the category of all is vanity. You work so hard, you make some money. What does the owner see? Everyone else using it up. Everyone else enjoying it but you. You go in trying to gain wisdom of the world and you work so hard at it. And yet what happens? It becomes obsolete. People use your 35 years of work. To use it now to prop things up, not to open and to use and to read. And it points this out, you know, you think about acquiring wealth and this greed that's here. There are endless stories of people who will literally risk everything for a little bit of money, a little bit of extra money. And some of us uh, remember back in the 80s, there was a story that uh, someone had laced um, Tylenol bottles in the drugstore with uh, cyanide. And they had put it in there and people would accidentally take it and they were dying. And so now uh, they put that little foil glued cover, right? That wasn't there before. It was easy access, right? And now you have it there and you have to poke through or peel it off. And someone else, when that had happened, copied that and there was a lady named Stella Nickel who was sentenced for 90 years for killing her husband with cyanide. And she had put it and laced Excedrin pills and gave it to her husband back in the day to win his life um, uh, insurance policy of $176,000. $176,000. She was willing to take someone's life, 
risk her whole life being in jail to go and do this. And uh, they found out that she had gone to random stores and laced some Excedrin bottles so it looked like it was a random killing. But she ended up telling her daughter this. And when they went to the local library, they looked up the books on cyanide. It had her fingerprints on it. And they found her. And you think about this. You say, what in the world? Why would she, and she spent now 90 years, the rest of her life basically, in prison. Why would you risk that? Is it worth that? And yet, and we could look at that and say, that's foolishness. That's empty. You have nothing. And that is a life without God, with a bunch of stuff. So, the third phrase we look at here in our text is under the sun. Verse 3, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? This is a rhetorical question in verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? That phrase, under the sun, is everything that's visible, everything but God. God is considered above the heavens. Right? And especially in the Old Testament writing. So anything under the heavens or under the sun what meant life here on earth. Why toil so much for the things under? It's living a life without God. It's having everything but God. And that has been the description of all the things that are called vanity mentioned up to this point. Life under the sun mentioned 26 times in this book. He says, hey, have a better perspective, better perspective. Peter Berger, the sociologist, theologian, says, uh, the modern world is a world without windows. What he means by that is we do not now open and look outside. What we don't see as the windows are closed and we live in a house without windows, we assume what's not seen is not real. And he says the modern world is a world without windows. No one looks beyond the What's other than what's immediately in front of them. And in the name of science, many have said, well, if I don't see it, uh, I can't believe it. And here, the one that said it all, the one that's done it all, he says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? How important it is to live a life acknowledging God, living for God, thanking God, worshiping God, to live a life not just under the sun, but know that there is a real life above the sun. There is God who is there for us above the sun in this way. There's a story of a man that I read. A uh, young man was engaged to be married and he was preparing for his wedding. And money was so tight. Uh, some of you remember that and uh, how much weddings would cost. And At his job one day, uh, he gets his paycheck, he opens it up, and to his shock and surprise, his paycheck for the month was doubled. The amount was doubled. And he had this moment of, what am I going to do? I can go and tell them, or I could just act foolish and just deposit it, right? And some of us are thinking, oh boy, that, what would I? And he, and he thought, well, just an error. The bank made an error. And so he makes, he just deposits it. He checks the next day, and it's in his account. And he's playing dumb. And a couple days later, the boss, his boss comes up to him with a big smile. And he says, hey, how are you? And the guy's a little nervous. Oh, I'm doing okay. And 
um, the boss says, hey, just so I have a quick question for you. Did you notice anything different about your paycheck last month? And he doubles down and he tells him, no, I, I didn't notice anything. And the boss is still smiling and he says, are you sure you didn't notice anything different? He goes, no, it was the same. And he sees the expression on his boss's face change from a smile to a, a disappointing uh, frown. And he says, are you positive you didn't see anything? He says, no, I didn't see anything. I deposited it and it's just the usual stuff. Why? And disappointed, the boss says, well, congratulations, I doubled your paycheck for your wedding gift. And he walks away disappointed. Um, you know, this is us receiving the things of God, living life here on earth. And God says, hey, Hey, how are you? How do you like the things? Who are you, God? He says, hey, I, I gave you life. I gave you everything. I gave you reason. I designed you the way you are. How are you? Hey, how are you? Are you enjoying the nature that I created? What are you talking about, God? Uh, I, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Ignoring the one that we ought to acknowledge. Denying the worship of the one who deserves our worship. And living as if he, there is nothing above the sun. Living practically like atheists. And saying, oh, I've earned this. I've made this. And the one who has given us a gift. Says, are you sure? You've checked what I've given you. How then should we live? And I want to just wrap up with a couple verses. Ecclesiastes 2, 24, 25. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also, I saw, is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? He is the factor in our lives. He is the one that, that gives us purpose in our lives. He is the one that says, you're studying for a reason. You're going to work for a reason. Because I've given you the intellect. I've given you the ability to do these things. I've given you the people around you for you to take care of. I've given you the heart to go and serve others. And now he is the one who deserves all things. He is the one who allows us to enjoy these things. It is because of him, whatever, even little leftover food that you have, before you eat, you could say a prayer, God, thank you for this food. Because he is the provider of all things. Jesus Christ now gives meaning for us. Life under the sun without him is vanity of vanities. Life with the Son of God gives meaning to all that we have. And so my prayer for us, dear brothers and sisters, is this year you would not waste a day. You would not waste an ounce of your energy. But to focus and remember the one above the sun and to live for him. Thank him daily. Acknowledge him regularly. Worship him. And know that he is the one who gives us the enjoyment of all things because he is the giver. Let's pray together. So Lord, we thank you we acknowledge you, we worship you. In our, Lord, distracted 
minds, we often neglect to see you. We forget to acknowledge you. Sometimes, Lord, we don't have the heart to worship you. And we are focused on the things of this earth, life under the sun. What we accomplish, what we enjoy, all of that will come and go really quickly, Lord. But you, you are forever. So, Lord, we look to you as the giver of all good things. And we enjoy everything that much more because of you. We pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.